0: Are you having a rough day? Do you want to blow off some steam, but the swears in your own language just don't cut it anymore? Try Les Sacres. Les Sacres are a time-honored tradition of Quebecois swearing, perfected over generations of frustration at the Catholic Church, bringing you such classics as esti, Corliss, and tabernacle! Just like the words of power from Skyrim, you can combine Les together for an even more powerful swear, as Robo Gonzalez will show in this episode. Thanks again, Les Sacra for sponsoring us. Les Sacra, helping Quebecois and Quebecois at heart vet their frustrations since 1830X.
1: At the end of Hanging with Harry... Look at that. It's the time and space dimensional warp that Arjuna and Troy and Evan use. Uh, Arjuna, help, help. Anybody? Whee-
0: And now, the exciting conclusion.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Thoughtscast. This is Pete, and I'm joined by Arjuna and Robo Gonzalez. Hi Hi, listeners. We had a whole bit put together to justify, really, the big reveal of this episode, which is that I'm planning to emigrate to Quebec once the border opens back up and I get vaccinated. But I think the Capitol riots made my case better than anything I can say. I think the only things we can realistically expect of Joe Biden are that he won't profoundly mess up the vaccine rollout, and that he'll buy time before Trump or a competent Trump-like person gets elected president, and when that fascism countdown timer goes off, I don't want to be in the U.S. when it happens. And I'm going to turn this over to Robo Gonzalez to talk about why I picked Canada.
2: Yeah, so when Pete and I sat down after the election to pick a country to emigrate to, we had a couple of different criteria to help narrow things down. First, Pete wanted to go to a place where they spoke a language that he had at least studied a little bit. So that narrows it down to places where they speak English, French, German, Russian, or Turkish. Then we looked at places that have a large games industry presence. So that ruled out all Russian and Turkish-speaking countries, it ruled out New Zealand, and so it was narrowed down then to Australia, Canada, the UK, Ireland, France, Germany, Switzerland, and Austria. So then we took a look at what countries have universal health care and cheap prescription drugs. Uh, Switzerland, believe it or not, got ruled out because they have a sort of an Obamacare-like system where healthcare coverage is mandatory, but it's private plans, and Switzerland has some pretty high prescription drug prices compared to most industrialized countries, if you leave out the giant shitting elephant that is the United States. So then we took a look at how the left and the right are doing in each country. One complaint that Pete brought up was that the left in the U.S. is really forced to play a game with itself that it can't win within the two-party system. And he pointed to the whole force the vote controversy that happened between the progressive Democrats and the establishment Democrats around the end of last year as an example of this. So we wanted to find a country that had a viable left movement that could demonstrably do things in government. That quickly ruled out the UK. Uh, It also ruled out Australia, where the Liberal Party, which, don't let the name fool you, is the center-right party, has been in power since 2013. And I haven't talked much about climate change, but let's face it, Australia seems to be the hardest hit of most of the countries that I've seriously considered. So it's almost rolled out just because of that alone. It rolled out Germany because if you look at their left parties like Die Linke, well... Because the party of the European left is shrinking and becoming increasingly irrelevant for a very, very simple reason. They don't have a common program about Europe even the linke does not have a common program about europe to our detriment and with sadness we note that the linke is divided there is a wing which is europeanist uh, but then there is another faction in the linke which um, is arguing for the disintegration of the european union the disintegration of the eurozone When you try to put together these two different factions, and to get them to agree to a common manifesto, you end up with the lowest common denominator. And the lowest common denominator, manifesto that you end up with, is vacuous, it's empty. Thanks, Yanis Varoufakis. You can find the link to that full clip in the description. And Austria seems to be in the same situation as well. France, uh, despite Obama's endorsement of Emmanuel Macron, isn't much better. And I'll link a podcast uh, in the description where you can learn more about that. Ireland is currently in a three-party coalition with two center-right parties and the Greens. They really don't have a whole lot of game studios there anyway. And so that leaves Canada. Hey everyone, Editor
0: Arjuna here. Pete and Robo Gonzalez are going to drop a lot of Canadian history and politics references in the rest of this podcast, so I'm going to drop in every now and then to explain them. But the Canadians listening, I apologize in advance for Canada's planning. And for starters, there are five political parties in the Canadian Parliament. There's the Liberals, or the center-left party. There's the Conservatives, the center-right party. There's the New Democratic Party, NDP, which is the left party. You can think of the difference between the NDP and the Liberals as something like the Squad versus the Establishment Democrats. There's the Green Party, which I think has one, maybe two members right now. And then there's the Bloc Québécois, which is a Quebec sovereigntist Party. We'll get into some of that
2: stuff later. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of the liberals. I have about the same opinion of Justin Trudeau as I do of Nancy Pelosi. But from everything I understand about Canadian politics, the conservatives are not likely to form a government anytime soon. And if Trudeau continues to mess up the vaccine rollout as much as he already has, we're probably just looking at another minority government And maybe the NDP will even have more leverage than it already does. Hi,
0: American listeners.
2: The Canadian government
0: uses the Westminster system, meaning it works a lot more like the British Parliament than what we have in the U.S. Whatever party has the most seats in the House of Commons controls the government. Now, if one party has a plurality of seats, not a majority, that's called a minority government, and it usually has to make deals with smaller parties in order to get anything done. That's what currently exists in Ottawa right now the liberals make deals with
2: other parties on a case-by-case basis in order to get anything done. And When I compare that to the situation in France and the situation in Germany, and couple it with the fact that they have universal health care, they're working on lowering the price of prescription drugs, which are still significantly lower than in the U.S., they haven't had private prisons since 2006, they have at least twice the percent unionized workforce that we do, They have rights in their Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is their constitution, that we don't really have in our constitution. They basically have an equal rights amendment, which we've been trying to pass in this country since women got the vote. Canada just comes out as the best possible place for Pete and Arjuna and I to emigrate to, to escape the giant fascism countdown timer hovering over D.C. Thanks, Rebel Gonzalez. I'd like to talk for a little
1: bit about where in Canada I'm trying to move to and some things related to that, and then I'll get to your questions. Now, there's three major hubs of the games industry in Canada. There's Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. Montreal has cheaper housing overall, and so that ultimately uh, makes it my pick. Now, that said, this does mean I have to learn French. This is my third time... Learning French, uh, the first time I remember being something like five or six years old, and there was like a French textbook for kids that I worked my way through and then forgot it all. The second attempt was in high school, uh, where I did get good enough at it that I could place out of the first year of French classes when I started at UMaine. Uh, but I never really had any reason to use it. Afterwards. And so for French language attempt number three, I've put together a very makeshift self study program that I'm probably going to switch over to something more intensive later. I do almost an hour of Duolingo lessons every day. There's a couple of podcasts out there that are done by native French speakers for people learning French. Uh, There's two that I listen to, and I'll put the links in the description. One is called Inner French, it's meant for intermediate French speakers. And yeah, when I listen to the to those podcasts, I can pretty much understand the whole thing. Um, another is uh, Fleur de Lis, which is done by a Quebecoise living in Italy, and I mostly just listen to that for her accent because, oh boy, I can't claim to speak for all French learners here, but going from the French that I learn in my Duolingo lessons to uh, Quebecois French, it feels like going from BBC shows to Boomhauer from King of the Hill. Alright, uh, let's get to questions. Troy wanted to know what the day-to-day of running for office was like. Uh, and Tyler had a somewhat related question. He wanted to know about time management-type stuff, like how all-consuming was it. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, running for state legislature is like having a second job that you don't get paid for. If you're lucky if you've got enough of a team under you that can put in the time that needs to get put in, which is not always the case. And look, I am absolutely grateful to everybody who put in even a small amount of time to help out with the campaign. All I am trying to say is, in even the smallest campaign for office, there is a huge amount of work that has to get done in an all-too-short amount of time. And you are constantly deciding which ball you need to let drop. The way it worked out in my race, and by the way, don't take any of this as normal for campaigns in a normal year uh, because the COVID pandemic upended just about every facet of this that you can think of. But when I was able to walk away from Peace Island for some part of the day, I would uh, sit down with my campaign manager when we had the chance, and we would go over what had to be done and what part of it would uh, fall onto my plate. And for reasons we'll probably get into later. I didn't just wear the candidates hat. I was in charge of everything like IT and social media related as well. So uh, I had to handle things like posting stuff to Facebook and uh, even while we had a Twitter, we didn't use it a whole lot. But pretty much all media stuff was something I had to deal with. I would end up at the end of the meeting with a list that I called a campaign inventory of things I had to do. This was pretty much a daily Monday through Friday thing. Uh, Weekends, I did not have off from the campaign because I spent them doing phone canvassing because I couldn't knock on doors. But anyway, in the Monday through Friday, uh, I had this list here. Uh, This is I don't really, there's no date on this thing, but I'm guessing from some of the stuff it talks about, it's from probably around September, maybe early October. Uh, And I'm just gonna walk through the different items here. Send a Facebook message to Jack, who um, I needed to know if he wanted to sign in his yard. Uh, talk to Scott Landry, who's a Democratic state rep in Farmington, not too far from here, about, it doesn't actually say what it's about, but I think it's about um, where the records are for votes in committees, because I was doing some opposition research on Tom, my opponent, uh, Call Barb, who's a local volunteer in Phillips, about distributing signs. Uh, Monday, come back to joint Somerset-Franklin candidates night. There was some talk about um, a debate with some of the state legislative candidates involving I think it was like some of the chamber of commerce chapters um that didn't pan out but i tried to chase down some contact about it acf hearing acf stands for agriculture conservation and forestry it's a committee in the main legislature tom serves on it and i think i was looking at a hearing that that committee had held about i think measures to support Maine farmers in the pandemic uh just again opposition research Live stream Q&A set up slash ask, hold for later. Oh yeah, ask for questions. And I decided to hold it for later, I guess. Um, I did attempt to do a live stream on Facebook Live because this is a pretty old house district and most people who are on social media are on Facebook. And yeah, I was just gonna like ask for questions from people and answer them on the live stream. And that did happen. And I only did it once. Why the hell didn't I do it anymore? I think once I went back and looked at the export, I was seeing some, like, buffering glitches or something like that. And so I said, forget it. I'm not going to do this. Even having the Verizon cell tower here in Philips and using my phone as a mobile hotspot just doesn't cut it for live streaming. I think a lot of people really don't appreciate how much... Uh, upstream bandwidth you need for live streaming and how hard it is to get a connection with that kind of upstream bandwidth outside of large cities at least in this godforsaken country forward links to facebook ads i think this was something about uh, making sure that the billing for the paid political ads for the campaign uh, were working out right and i had to dig into the business admin side of my campaign's account to find the links for them uh, number eight, letter to the editor. Yeah, I wanted to draft a letter to the editor about synthetic pesticide spraying laws in Maine. because um, I wanted to because to, I wanted to draw some contrast with Tom about that. I don't think I' got around to that. Look at MPA mentioned bills on property tax bill. commentary. That was research for a, another letter to the editor about property tax reform. And, yeah, I remember digging into the details on that and figuring out that there really wasn't a letter in there. Oh, God. This is a very 2020 item. Call main CDC. If test valid, look for blood donation opportunity and blessing box. Yeah, I remember getting tested for COVID after participating in all those Black Lives Matter protests. And there was just some concern that because I had a really bad bloody nose after they gave me the nasal swab... Uh, that maybe the test wasn't valid. Um, but if it did, uh, look like the test results are legit. Yeah, after that, I was going to donate blood again and, um, drop off some food donations at the Blessing Box, which is this, uh, food pantry supplement that was set up, uh, outside the library by a couple of people around Phillips and is still going today and, yeah, we sure need it. MPA Briefing on Clean Jobs for Candidates. I think that's part of Renew New England, which is this coalition of different progressive groups all around New England that tried to make, like, green energy and green energy jobs a big thing in the campaign. It, (laughs) like so much progressive messaging in Maine, it probably only had any impact south of I-95, but what can you do? 7 p.m. Western Maine DSA. Oh, yeah, this is when I thought there was still a point to being involved in DSA. Uh do I really want to go on a rant about Democratic Socialists of America? No, I don't. But I'll say this. I was part of an effort to create a DSA branch uh, focused on Western Maine, and it didn't really go anywhere. And if you actually do want to hear about my gripes with DSA, check out the link in the description to that episode of the It's Not Just In Your Head podcast, where I was a guest and we talked about mental health in rural America and some of the related political issues. And it's a good podcast in its own right, and you should definitely check them out. Um, June 19th, uh, UU Church, Norway Day. I think this was something about a... um, So Norway, uh, this does not refer to the country, it refers to the town of Norway in Maine. I think there was some talk about a Black Lives Matter protest, and I was going back and forth about whether it made sense to go there and um, speak if I had a chance to speak. HD 112, that's House District 112, Towns in heading and add click counter, uh, and WP scan. Uh, again, remember, I was basically in charge of all IT and social media stuff in the campaign, so that's a note to myself about some edits that I had to make to my campaign website. Uh, next, Morgan, uh, who's somebody I met at the, uh, Black Lives Matter protest in Kingfield, who also happens to be a member of the Select Board, Uh, in the same town where that protest happened, ask about Nestle selling Poland Spring, uh, QC, and sign-in yard. So, yeah, I wanted to call her and ask about a news story that had just come out that Nestle was thinking of selling Poland Spring and what that might might mean for the bottling plant that Poland Spring has in Kingfield. And she seemed kind of supportive, so I figured I'd ask for a qualifying check. Um, I'll get to that in a second. And a sign in her yard context, we have a public financing system for elections in Maine. Actually, I think I talked about that in Hanging with Harry, but very briefly, you collect $5 qualifying contributions from registered voters at your district, and every 15 contributions um, above a certain threshold gets you a certain amount of money in public funding. Vicky wants a photo and paragraph about me for email. Vicky uh, was an active member of the county Democrats, and they were putting out an email to uh, folks in their membership about their candidates. Call the irregular, which is a paper in Kingfield. Uh, letters after deadline resubmit or carried over to the next issue, and that is it. And sometimes I'd have way more than this. Sometimes I would have less. But I figured that particular copy of the campaign inventory and, you know, and all the hustle and bustle, I had a lot of these hanging around the place, uh, was a good example of what would happen. Kai Lee asked, I want to know about how you manage the advertising. None of it, on my end at least, was more complicated than most of the stuff we do at Probably Work. I mean, there were posts on Facebook that would sometimes get traction, and uh, we had about two or three different Boosted posts, including a professionally shot campaign video, handled by a uh, consulting firm that the state Democratic Party had uh, hooked us up with, uh, who did this kind of stuff for all of the state House candidates. There were a few mass mailings as well. Um, There were two in the primary, because I had a contested primary, and then four, one of which was a biographical type of deal, and the other three were all issue based. Evan asks, when are you legally allowed to start riding horses again? (laughs) That's the questions about uh, Tyler's vasectomy. Um, But the answer is, once I know they speak French. Je suis Mr. Ed. The first question Evan meant for me was, what have you learned from this loss to strengthen your race the next time you run? Well, unfortunately, Evan, I don't know if there's going to be a next time I run. But if there is... It's gonna be after I get Canadian citizenship and it will be for an elected office in Canada. But in any case, I would like to take some time just to go over some general advice because some of you I know have thought about running for something or you should run for something. And I would like to give a couple of pointers. Uh, and I will be able to point to a couple of case studies. Ah, uh, that sounds pretentious. I have some examples where I can show you I think I applied these lessons for a good effect in the campaign. But first, a promo for something that isn't Les Sacres.
3: Too young for this trek. The final frontier. These are the voyages of MC, Troy, and Eric.
1: Their mission to
3: introduce Tyler to strange new episodes. To seek out the best and worst media in the Star Trek franchise. To boldly go where several podcasts have probably gone before.
4: You can listen to these goobers talk about Star Trek by searching for Too Young for This Trek or by visiting probablywork.com.
1: Wow, that sure was cool. All right, this has to come with a bunch of disclaimers. I don't know what the campaign finance system where you live is like. I don't know the circumstances of your race. I don't know what election laws are like where you are. I don't know the issues that people are most concerned with. I don't know what media is like where you are. When it comes to social media, I focused on Facebook and Twitter was an afterthought. Maybe you live in a younger area and Twitter or TikTok makes sense. These are all profoundly important details that you will have to figure out yourself. This list is also going to be somewhat America-specific, although I've tried to keep that stuff down as much as possible. It's probably going to get unintentionally America-specific because it's just the culture I know. With that out of the way, let's jump into it. And the first item on the list, I don't have a short, pithy phrase to sum it up. Know thyself sounds a little pretentious, but I remember watching a clip of an interview that Ian McKellen had with Charlie Rose back in the 90s when he'd done a uh, adaptation of Richard III. And he talks about the opening monologue, and uh, I was going to recite it here, but why should I do that when we have our own resident British person? Take it away, Bill.
3: But I that am not shaped for supportive tricks, nor made to court an armorous looking-glass. I that am rudely stamped and want loves majesty to strut before a walton ambling nymph. I that am curtailed of these fair proportions, cheated of my feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world scarce half made up. "'and that so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I halt by them. "'Why, I, in this weak piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time "'unless to spy my shadow in the sun and dissent on my own deformity. "'And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover to entertain these farewell-spoken days, "'I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasure of these days.'"
1: And in the interview, uh, Ian McKellen says, and I wonder how many politicians who are unsuccessful in love decide to go for power. Power is a hell of a drug. And if your experience of running for office is going to be anything like mine, the one question you are going to hear from people more than any other is why are you running for office? You will have multiple answers to that question. And you need to be more honest with yourself than you need be with anybody else. Be as honest with yourself as you can only be within the confines of your own skull about what all those answers are and what they say about you. And are those answers about you? Or are they about the people you want to represent? And I think for too many politicians the real answer to the question of why they ran is about them in some way. Or it's more of a statement about what they want out of the people they want to represent, or out of the power, or out of the recognition, than any highfalutin goals they would tell you they want to achieve. And you may look at what those answers say about you and not like what you see. And maybe you need to do some kind of work on yourself before you're in a good place to go out and seek power on behalf of some group of people you happen to live amongst. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not some kind of Jordan Peterson, set your house in perfect order before you stand up with your shoulders back like a lobster bullshit. Sometimes, things happen, and you have to run for office. And you're not perfect. You're never gonna be perfect. But you can make sure that you're not a disaster. And there are too many disasters in politics. And that's why the world is as messed up as it is. Item number two is something that Mike Sylvester, who's an excellent progressive socialist uh, state rep from Portland, said on a call very shortly after I entered the race. And he said that when you run for office, you need to be your most authentic self. And I think too many people, when they run for office, they try to be some imagined idea of what they think other people think a politician should be, and it, of course it comes off as fake, and there is a veritable supermarket of rhetorical tricks that you can use to turn your perceived shortcomings into assets. And I did this when I posted an announcement that I'd been endorsed by the main DSA, which is something that I think no rural Democrat would usually even contemplate doing because they think that the area is so ridiculously red. And Arjuna Robo-Gonzalez and I are going to read it because I inadvertently set up a little bit of a call and response (laughs) uh, structure to this thing. Have you filled
0: up on wood chips or old newspapers at the transfer station? That's socialism! Have you driven on a public road? That's socialism! Have you checked out a book from the public library funded in part by your town government? That's
1: socialism!
0: Socialism is nothing more than when people work together to meet needs they can't handle on their own. It's vital to everything from transportation to economic development in rural Maine. That's why I sought and am proud to have the endorsement of Maine Democratic Socialists of America. We need candidates who are not afraid to say that capitalism is not working for rural Maine, it will not work for rural Maine, and we have to work together to provide the basic needs of healthcare, employment, housing, and education for all Mainers in an environmentally and racially just way. See you at the transfer station.
1: That was one of my most popular non-promoted posts. And I think it did so well because I stood up for what I believed in, I didn't run away from it, and I showed why I was right. Now, the next lesson, which sort of builds on the previous one, is leave no shot unanswered. The first election I ever got involved in was the 2004 U.S. presidential election. And that was the one where the George W. Bush people trotted out swift Boat veterans for truth. And the Democrats uh, collectively took the high road, quote unquote, and didn't even try to respond to it. And we all know how that worked out. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean you have to have a comeback to every two bit troll that wanders into your comments section. But you, or at least your campaign staff, ought to see when your opposition starts to try to create a narrative around you to make you look bad. And I've got a case study for this, and it comes from the primary election from my race. So one day over the summer, my primary election opponent, Cynthia Soma Hernandez, posted a live stream uh, and Here's a clip from it.
3: So tell me I can't be in the House of Representatives. Tell me you want a 30-something-year-old young man who lives at home with his mother and father instead of this.
1: Now, I wasn't going to respond to that, but around the same time, I was seeing trolls in uh, the comments on some of my posts starting to coalesce around this whole mom's basement dweller narrative. Is, Is it really dignifying it too much to call it a narrative? uh name calling me a mom's basement dweller that works and if there's one thing we know about the republicans death cultists that they are they're really good at settling on a specific message and repeating it ad nauseam until that's the only thing that people have associated with the name of their opposition so i decided to make a response to that and before i turn it over to arjuna I want you to know, if you're a millennial or a Zoomer who's been struggling in this job market for the 13 years since the Great Recession so totally messed up the American economy that we still haven't fully recovered from it, I want you to know that I did this just as much for you as I did it to respond to Cynthia. Oh, and a little bit of context. In a live stream before this... Cynthia was streaming from her phone, and I think she could see who on Facebook was watching the stream, and she noticed it and said something to the effect of, Hey Pete, why don't you come to my place for a fireside chat? Uh, which I was not going to do. But when I wrote this post, I figured, well, I'm gonna respond to this call is de merd so why don't I speak to that other thing as well? Okay,
0: Arjuna, it's all yours. As you may have seen or heard, I have an opponent in the July 14th primary. I want to set the record straight on something Cynthia Soma Hernandez said about me recently. On a June 21st live stream, at about 16 minutes in, link below, she said, TELL ME, YOU WANT A THIRTY SOMETHING YEAR OLD? And then she paused, because she didn't really say what she wanted to say. Young man, who lives at home with his mother and father, instead of this. My father succumbed to liver cancer in November 2017 after decades of alcoholism. I was told that he sobered up near the end and, while still in hospice, meant to get back in touch with me, as we hadn't spoken since my parents' divorce in 2003, but he ran out of time. I shared a status on Father's Day, thanks again Brie Kidman, saying that, if today is hard or complicated for you because of a bad or non-existent relationship with your father, I'm your dad now. And I'm very proud of you, kiddo, end quote. And that's why I shared it. I believe that my experience created a sensitivity to the toll that substance abuse and alcoholism takes on families in rural Maine that most voters would want in a legislator. I think that sensitivity will be extremely important to future debates around Maine care and rehab programs that rural Maine desperately needs, especially in the wake of this pandemic. It is true that I live on the family farm with my mom and my uncle who is intellectually disabled. Everyone reading this is welcome to stop by and check out all the different projects we're working on here, especially the earthworks we created to minimize erosion, our kitchen garden with peach and apricot trees, and our flocks of free-range chickens. Primary voters in House District 112 ought to think about whether Cynthia understands what it's like to struggle economically as a younger Mainer. I have degrees from UMaine Orono and UMass Amherst, both fine public land-grant universities, and I have six figures in student debt. I, for one, know what it's like to struggle to make a payment on a loan that I can't discharge in bankruptcy, and to laugh at the very idea of owning a home, never mind saving up for retirement. By the way, you can apply for an absentee ballot here, and then I put the link to the absentee ballot application. Finally, Cynthia, if you're reading this, I am not going to your place in Anson for a fireside chat, as you suggested in an earlier live stream, for the same reason that I won't invite you to the bottom of my driveway in Phillips for the same thing. Debates should happen in the kind of neutral forum that the Franklin and Somerset County Democrats can provide. I've spoken with both committees about a candidates' night. I look forward to debating you in that forum before the primary because, well, I hope you're better than this.
1: Now, I said that the post about the DSA endorsement did pretty well on Facebook, but this, in terms of material support for the campaign, did even better than that because some of the conversations that I know spun out of that post— led to like five or six clean election donations uh, as a result. And remember, every 15 contributions that I got netted something like, I think it was $1,300 in public funding. Now, I did a lot of things in that post, but I think the most important thing to point out, and I say this never having done martial arts in my life, but what I'm told is that a lot of the idea behind Aikido is, you use the force of your opponent's attack against them. I don't think many people, especially first-time candidates for office, fully appreciate how useful that concept can be in political rhetoric. And while we're still on the subject of responding to your opponent's attacks, I want to move on to the next lesson, which is about knowing the difference between aggressive anger and assertive anger. Now, if you're as online as I am, you know that there was a cottage industry of videos on YouTube with titles like SJW Cringe Compilation number what have you. The practice of taking any kind of charged statement from somebody whose politics you don't like and turning it into a caricature is as old as dirt. And your job as a candidate is to still stand up for what you believe in, but make sure the other side gets as little ammunition out of you as possible. Now there's a psychologist named Les Carter, who I've linked to in the description, who talks about uh, these two different types of anger, aggressive anger and assertive anger, in the context of dealing with a narcissist. But I think we can apply what he's talking about to political rhetoric. But first, let's just define what these two terms mean. Here's aggressive anger.
4: Now, when people tend to think of the emotion of anger, it's the open aggression that they tend to think of most. Uh, Aggressive anger means that you're wishing to stand for your worth, your needs, your convictions, but at the other person's expense. And when you come across in an openly aggressive way, then it can uh, yield characteristics like blaming and shaming and harshness and abruptness and criticism and open argumentativeness, things like that.
1: Which your opposition, with even a minimal amount of editing skill, can use against you to make you look like a deranged lunatic. Now, by contrast, here's what assertive anger means.
4: Now, many times people think assertive means that you can just say whatever you want if they don't like it. That's just their tough luck. Well, assertive anger is not that. It means that you're standing for your worth, your needs, your convictions, while also showing respect and regard for the other person involved. Now, when it's a narcissist that you're feeling angry at, you don't really feel much respect. But sometimes you just need to go ahead and be dignified and, and uh, calm in the way that you manage your anger so that you don't get caught up in their pathology. And so right here, your tone of voice, you don't have to be harsh. You don't have to be mean and condescending, but you can be firm. How good are you at being firm and saying to the narcissist, this is who I am. This is what I believe. These are my convictions. These are my uh, my terms and how I'm going to deal with you.
1: Now, how calm and dignified and firm you can be in front of somebody who is not giving you the respect you deserve and or doesn't really deserve any respect can make all the difference between one-upping your opponent and winning over a critical number of votes that can win you the election or becoming just another clip in an SJW cringe compilation. Now, Dr. Carter was talking about a clinical context when you're dealing with somebody who is a narcissist. When we're talking about political rhetoric, I think aggressive and assertive anger are on a sliding scale, and it's very rare that you have instances of just pure aggression against somebody in a debate or pure assertiveness against someone in a debate. I think if you just replied with a robotic rebuttal to somebody, you would look like a robot, and a pure aggressive response probably wouldn't only involve words. So I'm going to play this clip from a candidate's night that I had with our good friend Tom, and it was about LGBTQ issues, and it's specifically about the ban on gay conversion therapy passed in the last legislature, which Tom voted against. It's now, a content warning: open the door, get on the floor. Tom's a homophobic dinosaur.
5: Thank you. I, I, uh, I believe that everyone should be protected under the law, regardless of their, their, uh, their their lifestyle, their their race, their color, their creed. We need to protect everyone. Everyone should have a voice. Everyone should be heard. Everyone should be recognized. And no one should be left behind in our society. And I do believe that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. That That's my personal belief. The law in Maine has has countered that, and I uphold the law, and I I will accept I will accept the law. But it seems to me that we need to be careful that we don't give some people more rights than others, and we need to be careful that there are un, there are unintended consequences, and we need to make sure that everyone is protected, regardless, as I said before, regardless of where they're coming from.
2: Thank you.
1: Okay, now that is A, an example of compound use of Les Sacres, thanks again for the sponsorship, and B, a perfect example of aggressive anger, all you're really doing is just saying that Schofield's mouth is a chalice of shit, which I agree with, but it doesn't really help you in a political debate. And I'm not going to say that my response was a perfect example of assertive anger. In fact, I have a bit of a gaffe after the clip that I'm about to play where I say that benefits were discharged during Don't Ask, Don't Tell when I meant to say veterans. But hey, what can you do when you're that pissed off? I don't know if it comes through in the audio, but I was just shaking with anger when I said it. But, oh, yeah. Let's say this is your homework assignment. If you were in my shoes, Would you have responded differently, and how, and why? Here's the clip. Uh, I am a straight ally. I have a niece who is an open lesbian and partnered, happily partnered. Uh, I'm endorsed by Equality Maine, and I believe that everyone should be treated equally regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. My opponent, however, voted against the ban on gay conversion therapy, which is a pseudoscientific process that does no no good and all harm. And I think that he can talk all he wants about how people should be treated equally in society. But when you vote against a ban on a procedure like that, you are telling every LGBTQ plus person in this state that they are not an everyday manner like everybody else. They have a mental disorder. That's what you're saying. And on that note, this audio file is creeping up on 45 minutes. I think I'm going to cut it here and break this thing up into a two, maybe two plus parter. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to finish up my advice for anybody who's thinking about running for office. And I'm going to get to the rest of your questions. And I think part two will get a lot more Canadian before we're done. So until next time, watch for toilets.